0: Welcome to Brands in Action, the podcast that asks the questions every brand should be asking. Today, we welcome Jomari Pinkard, CEO and co-founder of the Hella Cocktail Company. Jomari's career journey has taken him from helping to develop and implement the Salvation Army's September 11th World Trade Center recovery program to a continuous consulting role for the NFL's current Executive Vice President of Football Operations. In 2012, he became the co-founder and CEO of a minority-owned craft business, the Hella Cocktail Company. In eight years, he and his partners have grown a hobby into a nationally distributed premium quality food manufacturer, producing a line of non alcoholic mixers, bitters, and their newest innovation, bitters and sodas, that make it easier and more accessible to craft delicious drinks at home or behind the bar. Jomari is a graduate of the University of Virginia's McIntyre School of Commerce and also earned his MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Welcome to the show, Jomari. David, thank you so much for having me. We did a little pre interview about a week ago or a week or two ago, and you know, I've been a big fan of your products being a kind of a home bar- bartender, and I've used your stuff a lot, and I, I have a couple of real go-tos, mostly your Mexican chocolate and your um, ginger bitters are incredible, but I have now been introduced to the world of Hella in such a big way because I went down to one of our stores here in town that you turned me on to, and I bought everything. That's incredible. <laughs> and, you know, I've been doing a dry September. We're recording this in September, even though it's going to run probably in October. And it has made Dry September so fun and so creative and so pleasant. So your stuff is just incredible, man. Thank you. So talk about your journey. You know, the education that you have, the, the contacts that you must have made, the other work that you do with the Salvation Army and with the NFL, you, you could have gone a lot of ways. And I would
1: love to hear about how
0: you ended up founding
1: Hello. What was the journey that got you there? Great question, and thank you for the introduction of, and, of course, the support on the products during uh, your dry September run. Good luck. <laughs> this journey has been one of, I think, a few things, mainly curiosity, coupled with autonomy and um, trying to ascertain some level of freedom. So my journey, to your point, could have went in so many different ways, but what I really wanted to do was have autonomy over my own decision-making and not being my growth and trajectory not being at the behest of someone else's opinion of my, of my work. Yeah, I love that. And so the educational journey um, was about discovering self and being aware of the things that I really enjoyed so that one day I would wake up and not feel like I go to work anymore, right? And so that was that. that was something yeah. that I knew a long time ago that was seated into me. I probably couldn't articulate it that way back then, but I had that yeah. instinct about uh, where I was going and I really wanted to kind of understand that. Did that come from your parents? I think so. I think so.
0: Yeah. That's a very enlightened view of work, I think. And I, I share it. I, I feel exactly
1: the same way. And did you did that get passed on to you or is that something you discovered? I think a little bit of both, if I'm being honest, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, both my parents, my mom still works every day and she really enjoys what she does. But she's been working for, yeah. let's call it 40 years at the same job, which again, she really enjoys And My dad did. 30 years easy as an MTA clerk for the New York City Transit Authority. The discipline that they have in terms of their journey was something that was instilled into me, but also their curiosity for what they want for their children, which was, I think, solving for choice versus chance, right? I think a lot about this now that I have I have children as well. And I think about how my dad immigrated here from Belize and, and my mom's, you know, lineage is from St. Croix and then obviously West Africa. But when we think about how people moved more recently in terms of just people in general towards places that have chance for opportunity, right? Yeah. And that first generation or second generation is always solving for the hope that they can do something. A lot of people come and they're, they're doctors somewhere and they come here and they're, they're a driver, right? And like, they're just solving for chance. And I realized somewhere in there, my parents, I think, realized that we have the opportunity to solve for choice, Yeah, right? What is it that we want to do with ourselves? And I think, again, that was something that was handed to me without those words actually being said. But somewhere in the nuance, the message was clear. I mean, it's something we seem to have forgotten the power of that in this country these days
0: in some places. But so how did Hella happen?
1: Hela is, a, is, a, is an amazing story, right? I mean, this is a story of, of friends coming together who shared a hobby a long time ago, long before it was ever a company. You know, the story goes back to my buddies, Eddie and Tobin. Who, who are really the the stalwarts of the ideation of the idea itself, right? The kind yeah. of guys that would be at home, make a homemade pizza, and then try to one-up each other making a cocktail. And I was fortunate enough to meet them during that journey as a yeah. hobby. And they asked me at one point, is there something here, right? And I was just like, man, this is interesting. There's our initial products. There's, there's cocktail bitters, um, a flavorful infusion of, of spices, fruit, and bitter root at every bar and restaurant in the world. And nobody knows the brand name unless you're behind the bar. Right, And so for us, it was like, wow, this is really, really a curious experimentation of sharing something that you think is cool. And it kind of morphed into what it is today over time. So you were literally making them in your apartments? Literally Um, making them in the apartment. That's incredible. (laughs) Barrels and barrels and barrels. And and I have a funny story about one of the barrels, if you want to hear it. I I definitely want to hear it. So, So Tobin and I were making a batch of a large batch of bitters. And at this point, you know, I don't know if it was 2013 or, or something like that when the hobby started to get a little bit of legs, but we started making bitters in 30 gallon blue drums. The ones you see in Breaking Bad, those blue drums. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and once you filled them with liquid, I think they're about 30 gallons. They're very, very heavy, right? They're A few hundred pounds. And Tobin and Eddie lived on a one story, uh, lived up on the first floor on a walk-up apartment building. Yeah. and they had these these wooden steps, and so we did it. We had that, completed the mission once before, which was filling the barrel upstairs and then bringing it down so we could bring it to fill it somewhere else. And the second time we tried it, unfortunately, you know, uh, we tried to to jimmy the few hundred pound barrel down the on these wooden stairs, and I was on the back end of it going down one step at a time, and Tobin was on the top side. The barrel broke a, par, a edge of the oh my of, of the stair. Wow and what that meant was i went tumbling down with the barrel i went yeah. head backwards right and so if you can imagine someone going down a mountain with snow maybe <laughs> this yeah. is just yeah. wood backwards with a with a few hundred you know gallon barrel on my stomach and so i tried to hold the oh, lid closed and that was my main objective right cuz i i from my athletic yeah. days i know how yeah. to fall so i wasn't scared of falling down a flight of stairs i was full of <laughs> i was scared of the bitters yeah. falling and up you know and and spilling out all, all over me which I successfully held until I got to the last stair. And the yeah. last stair, the lid kind of unwound and, and spilled all over me. And Tobin's thinking, is Jamari dead? And I'm just thinking, damn, we lost the whole batch of bitters, right? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. so anyway. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Well, you've bled for your art.
1: <laughs> That's a fact. What made you decide not to make alcoholic bitters? The bitters are alcoholic based, right? So yeah. for those of you who are new to the sphere, most bitters, there's a very few that would consider themselves non-alcoholic, but most bitters are alcohol based because the alcohol acts as a preservative and a solvent right. and infuses the ingredients, um, the roots, the spices, into the liquid and then you strain the solids and then dilute with water. So most bitters have an ABV of around 40 to to 50%. And so does things like vanilla extract made in a very similar fashion that people might not know. And so there are a few, a very few non-alcoholic bitter brands um, that make a glycerin based bitters, but the glycerin does not act as a great solvent. So it's mostly sweet, right? It's it's not really a bitter's they're almost like dessert dessert bitters. Yeah, they're very very sticky. Right, they don't actually accomplish sure. the the idea of bringing depth and complexity because they, they can't a, grab the, the the spices and infuse them at the same way alcohol can. Yeah, they don't have the bite. Yeah, but just so everyone knows, there are, you know things uh, vanilla as well as things like bitters are, are all non alcoholic products because no product is a determined uh, alcoholic by the fact that it has alcohol in it or not. It's about the Amount of the serving size that you'd actually use it in. Right. So the use case is what matters. You you think about most of the things we we drink and and, and consume today have some trace elements of alcohol, but they don't need to be reported if they're under point, I think, 0.5%. So things like kombucha and even like, you know, some kinds of bread have trace, trace alcohol. So.
0: Yeah, as good as bitters are, I don't think you would want to drink a bottle of them at one in one shot.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> it might Absolutely hurt your throat not. Throat. You know, I, I I once heard there was there was some college kids doing it, and and they had to keep it behind lock and lock and key at some universities. Yeah. But that's that's a conversation for another day. So, what was your first bitter? Which what, what was your first infusion? Our first infusions were actually two. They were aromatic and citrus. Yeah. Um. We also made a vanilla kumquat at the time for fun, but then we really we really realized really quickly that we wanted to have two that went into the market just so that we made the offerings really simple and we're able to test out this hobby, right? And and going to market with too many things made it feel like, you know, the the difficulty of of managing something that's a hobby would be really, really cumbersome. So we really wanted to have aromatic and and citrus and citrus was our response to kind of orange, which aromatic and orange are kind of like your salt and pepper of the bar, right? So for a home bartender or real bar, those are your kind of starter sets. So we went with with some of the mainstays to make sure that we, we had it right. Or in the consumer feedback, you know, allowed yeah. us to do that.
0: What I love about your citrus, though, is it's not orange. It's sort of—I it, could be wrong. It has more of a lemon-lime orange. It is truly citrus. Yeah,
1: yeah. There are four types of citrus in, in the citrus bitters. Uh, also, add grapefruit to the ones you to the ones you so it's orange, lemon, lime, and, and grapefruit. We wanted to really yeah. have a full spectrum citrus bitters that could complement most uh, light spirits.
0: So you start with bitters, you get distribution. You're 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 doing well. COVID happens, like, years later here. How has that affected your, your plan? What did you guys do in reaction to COVID?
1: COVID has been tough for so many reasons, for so many different people in the industry, and, 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 and kudos to, to those who are trying to, to make it through and, and for those who, who have needed to shift and do something else. We always appreciate the industry and the hospitality industry in general because uh, it's all about people, right? And so the backbone mm-hmm. of, of a lot of things that society... Yep. Has is about that industry. So, you know, for us, COVID had, a, had, you know, a few different hiccups, if you will, but also presented a few different opportunities. Let's call it luckily, for lack of a better terminology, we weren't caught flat footed. We had been preparing kind of like our digital footprint for some time, yeah. third party sites, as well as our own home uh, website, uh, helicopter.co. And so we had, you know, curated offerings that allowed us to pivot towards uh, our community there right uh pretty quickly and tell our story and because yeah. we've had built up a considerable fan base or customer base along our journey over the last 8 9 years you know we were able to again meet our customers where they are we knew they weren't going to bars and restaurants anymore and they were primarily shopping either in retail or online and so we were able to you know to, to meet them where they are vis a vis newsletters and and really keep them informed of of, of how to engage with Hella where yeah. it felt most comfortable for them and so that that was really something that we were proud of being able to Again, not pivot, but lean into something—an infrastructure component of the business that we yeah. were already foreseeing as part of the future of the company. Well, it seems to me what's happening in cocktail
0: world anyway is a, a an enlightenment around bitters. Bitters are the spice rack of a cocktail. You can give me a bottle of bourbon and ten different bitters, and I I can ju- I can make a hundred different cocktails. <laughs> you know, I mean, absolutely. But at the same time, you can't really find everything anywhere unless you go to a specialty shop. And so, I feel like the online. Finding bitters and finding all of sort of the accoutrement around cocktails is happening online, starting to happen online a lot now. Anyway, so COVID almost seems like for this particular industry and category, almost seems like it it must have helped a lot of people. You know, and I live in North Carolina, which is a control state. You can't get a lot of things here. I have to order online anyway. So to me, it just makes a lot of sense, and it's um. It's a real opportunity.
1: Yeah, I think in general, what happened during COVID was it just expedited the fact that people were discovering things online, and especially in discovery categories, right? Where they're not like the, yeah. the mainstays in retail have always been discovered online. I think it, it kind of highlighted that, that persona who did that, right? It's like, oh, more and more people are discovering things and, and, and there's a place for that. And I think that's not going anywhere because space and retail and other structures will always be confined, right? And so discovery will, Agreed. will always need to, to pop up somewhere else. Space
0: and retail, it brings me to my next question because you've really moved from bitters now to this bitters and soda innovation. And I'd love to know a couple of things about that I find interesting. Was that an opportunity that you saw and you were working on? And again, COVID made that whatever it was,
1: or was that a pivot based on COVID? I've had this question a few times in the last, uh, Few weeks actually, which has been pretty interesting, is I Mm. think people start to pay attention to the bitters and soda idea. And just for you guys who don't know, the bitters and soda is a a non-alcoholic sparkling aperitif that's powered by our bitters themselves, and so delicious on its own. And a a lot of people are are using it in like highball drinks. But to answer your question, wasn't a pivot. This bitters and soda we actually called Hella Dry back in Mm. 2014 when we originally had the idea, right? Inspiration. Because what we would do in our tastings at retail, we would taste people that came down, you know, if you're at Costco at Whole Foods, we'd taste people on our bitters themselves and they're a concentrate, right? And so they're very, very harsh if you've never had bitters before. Yeah, for sure. And so we'd always dash them in soda water or apple juice or lemonade or something like that, just so people could understand how they bring depth and complexity to liquid. And so people would always ask us, do you make that? Do you make the thing that's in that, you know, that glass that you're handing us? And we always had the insight that this bitters and soda need, you know, the bitters need another vessel. And so that vessel uh, was really just carbonated soda water so that you could have that depth and complexity, but you didn't necessarily need the alcohol to, ex- to experience the flavor uh, profiles that bitters kind of offer. And so, I, you know, I, yeah. I recently looked at an email thread just to jog my memory of like, when did we have this idea? And it's back in March of 2014, really when the company was still a hobby, that we were yeah. thinking about this idea. And we realized very early on when we did a little bit of R and D that we didn't have the capital the infrastructure or the kind of expertise in the ready to drink space to really unpack it. Right. We were just like, man, we don't have the resources for this at all. So let's table it. And I think in a lot of ways, the tailwinds of, of culture in general have kind of caught up to where we were so far, you know, ago, when we think about like, like, I looked at the deck that we created a deck around it the other day. And the words that we used in the deck were non-alcoholic zero sugar, Better for you, right? <laughs> like these, like like these, yeah. like these are the words that are actually like on the deck. We did like a like a like a brainstorm yeah. word chart just to like just make sure that we were in line with our our current bidder's customer. And was like, wow, this story we told ourselves so long ago, we actually forgot we told ourselves the story, right? And so we find ourselves doing a lot of homework about who our customer is and how to tell the story. And we're like, we told it to ourselves forever ago. Well, you guys were way ahead
0: of the category where it's going and and what's exploded now, and and in fact. I'm really interested in how you you have dealt with the shelf space issue in stores of going from these little bottles that are pretty easy to commit to at least one or two SKUs, right? To asking for shelf space and going into a category where you're really up against big, very big players. How has that worked for you guys? What a
1: fight, right? <laughs> what? Oh, I can't imagine. That, yeah, I can imagine. That's the real uh, description of an uphill journey. It's been a slog. Space is so constrained, and I think especially during COVID when we launched Spitters and Soda for better or worse, most retailers were keeping their shelves even skinnier, right? They were like going Mm -hmm. leaning into what they know worked and were were leaving discovery and experimentation for another year, right? And so the few chains and doors that we've been able to secure have been because we've been telling this story for so long, right? We've been telling this story for so long that I think people have watched us grow up, if you will, right? They've watched us move through the country and, and pop up in their local... Independent store and watch us be online and watch our email go through their their channel and been consistent about it for so long that I think people trust us, right? They trust us um, in so many ways, from clientele to quality to the story we're going to tell and that that we're going to offer that support, right? So I think trust for us has been, you know, something I think that gives us a leg up on a lot of the other newer companies that are trying to vibe for that shelf space that we've been here for a while, telling the same consistent story. And again, those tailwinds are finally catching up. So it seems like we were telling a good profit, you know, along the yeah. way. Are you doing a lot of on-premise work with that as well? Not yet. We'd like to, um, but because of COVID, obviously, we, you know, everything's been closed in a lot of ways. Of and, course, of course. Yeah, okay. and so if retail was streamlining, you could imagine that a bar or restaurant kept it, you know, they were, you know, went from like offering a, a whole menu to like one item. The most successful, I think, restaurants kind of even, you know, limited their food options to only a few things that they were really known for because, the overhead that they're used to, they just couldn't afford. And the same thing goes into the, into the beverage set for now. So, yeah. so I think that's a 2022 initiative is to really hit the on-premise bar and restaurant scene in a big way, yeah. primarily to, to talk to that and figure out how to be a part of the non-alcoholic menu. It feels like something, too, is
0: happening with highballs, where I just feel like you watch all the trends in the spirits category. Right now, I, I'm seeing highballs everywhere. And I didn't three years ago. You know, I I just, you just didn't see him as much. And it feels like this is actually a real opportunity to promote highballs as well. Not just non-alcoholic. I mean, you're, you're making it really easy for the bar to serve a fantastic highball. And by the way, with a product that's got cred, it's not like you're pouring LaCroix into, into it and then having to add the bitters and add the, it's really good stuff.
1: Thank you. Thank you. No, we, we appreciate it. And and that's kind of what we see as a value proposition. So for those bars out there, restaurant managers listening, get with us. I agree because I would, I would order,
0: it's really good stuff. All right, so let's talk about your brand a little bit. We think of a brand as a set of behaviors based on a belief system or a set of values, right? And then it, it basically drives the entire company, not just some of those behaviors are advertising and design, but it's really everything. And I wanna throw in one question to this too. I'd love to just for you to talk about your brand because I know you've done a lot of brand work on your brand and you're very deliberate about it. You're also a, a black owned business, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the role that plays in the brand and the behaviors of the company.
1: Man, uh, th- those are a few questions. I'm going to try to decouple them. I know. Um, <laughs> the roots of our brand came from, from us. They were fully expressive of who we were and nothing more, right? It was like we weren't trying to talk to anyone else except ourselves, and that was fine, yeah. right? And so yeah. when we thought about that, we really thought about what, what mattered to us, the things that really mattered to us back then and still do in a lot of ways were all about hospitality and education it was like, take the mystique off of what seems like mysterious cocktail culture and let's demystify it. Right. So it was like, man, I want to be curious, but I also want to be able to experiment and not be told that I can't do this and this is the only way to do it. Right. So those things became really, really, really important to us in terms of building the brand itself. Our old packaging hopefully was very inviting. It felt probably a lot of hipster. It was a a beautiful bowler cap and glasses and, and Mm -hmm. had this like this, this, you know, this classic character that felt hopefully a little bit more modern right so it was like this classic mm-hmm. modern person and it was you know trying to understand what what that person saw and so we wanted to be very inviting to this experience and we felt like we gave you the tools to do what you know the experts were doing without cutting corners and if you were an expert yeah. like you're invited too and so a lot of it was about accessibility invitation and inclusion to experiment right and so that's some of the pillars that we still sit on today but that was the guts of the brand at the beginning and what it's yeah. evolved into now is like adding things to it, right? Is more, is more being at this intersection of that cocktail culture, the inclusion of of different people to the space. Um, think yeah. about your your non-alcoholic person, right? And including yeah. that space, and then how to how to do it in a way that feels elevated, right? So those yeah. are kind of the three the three layers that we wanted to continue to add on. We've always felt it. We've always we think communicated it in our presence, but not necessarily on pack or in the, the language, and so those three things, you know, have, have, have become like the the, the new additional pillars to our movement. At the end of the day, it's an orientation, right? So,
0: and, and you just approach the world the way you, your brand approaches the world. And I, I also have a theory that a lot of brands start out of, out of a, I'm going to call it a benevolent selfishness where you're just super excited about something and you want it to get it out into the world and you want people to enjoy it. And so it's this weird mix of like, I'm very selfish with what I will allow to happen here, but I'm being as generous as I possibly can to get it into the world.
1: And I love that. That's one of the things that actually, it's the glue between Eddie, Tobin, and myself, is that we are completely three different animals, right? We're literally from three different parts of the world or the country. We think completely different, but what's consistent and what we we share is the idea that we want to share, right? We want to share wherever we are in our part of the journey and how that ladders up into an elevated beverage experience that is just like who we are and like to your point it's a very selfish you know stance but we like invite everyone to you know latch on or criticize or take it and make it whatever they want and they're part of the journey because at the end of the day it's your journey right and all we're doing is providing the tools to let you express how you feel about the occasion you're in for that moment and so like everyone's invited to the party
0: you guys have a saying in your brand materials, re- relentlessly pursuing new flavors, perspectives and possibilities by embracing your history. Given that you said you have these three different points of view that come together to create a point of view, talk a little bit about that history and what, what surprising outcomes have happened because of that that you didn't foresee?
1: Oh, great question. I, I mean, I think at all points of view and all positions in the business it's a myriad of, of our perspectives, right? So if you even think about yeah. the actual flavors themselves, <laughs> just the flavors themselves come from our own inspirations of like what we think about, about how we, how we view the world. For yeah. instance, something like apple blossom, Tobin it loves and eucalyptus loves floral, you know, things, mm. right? He, if, you, if you go to his house, it looks like you're in some beautiful plant shop, right? Because yeah. he, he, this is what he grew up and he really enjoys it. Um, so the expression of eucalyptus is, is Tobin, right? It's like that's yeah. what he would make for himself as a syrup of some sort of when he's just hanging out. And I think for me, uh, you know, maybe not as much in the outcome of the flavor, but in the ideation of something like Mexican chocolate, I would own that expression, right? Like my partner and my children are Mexican, right? And I'm chocolate. So like that mm. idea to me is a is a beautiful, not only. Cultural combination, but yeah. when you put the flavors together, it's magical, right? So our perspectives just come together in different ways to to inform just things like flavor, right? And then um, it yeah. could, you can imagine how it how it layers over different parts of the company when we you know we use language and when we speak about the idea of booze is optional. That's also directly coming from where we kind of are on our different journeys, right? Some of us drink and we yeah. do dry January. Yeah. And some of us don't, and and, like, we want to make sure that those stories are all being included in our brand, not only because there's a market opportunity, but because we're actually doing a dry January, right? Or a dry September, yeah, or definitely. someone on the team is doing it. And so we want to make, keep those things mindful that we also understand that our journey and our brand is, is, is alive, it's breathing. Yeah. It will evolve. You know, you can put some sticks in the ground, but know, like, it's not going to be perfect. It's always going to evolve from it doesn't that means we got stuck somewhere right like we didn't we're yeah, not doing yeah. the work and we're not being reflective on our own personal journeys with the rest of our team included too not just the founders
0: what i love about that is there is a plan there is a future and you can pivot and go because you know what the brand is and and i i think what i what i see a lot and you, you know we see that you see this a lot in the brand world where a lot of brands kind of become the the Winchester house the big mansion where the Winchester Widow like just would add rooms and there's mm-hmm, stairways mm-hmm. to nowhere and all that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. You see that a lot. And that, those are brands that don't know who they are. They don't have a value set that's guiding that stuff. And uh, you guys clearly do have that.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's ebb and flow, right? Like sometimes you you know w- w- you lose sense because you're so. You're, it's almost like being in love with someone, your first girlfriend or whatever it is. You're so in love you can't see any of their any yeah. of their yeah. points that of, of right that that don't make sense. That your your mom or dad are like, are you, are you okay, son? Yeah. Right, and so. <laughs> That happens right in your business. And so it takes time to like come up for 30,000 feet and, and take a look in the mirror. And I think all companies are guilty of that at some point. And I think the companies that do well consistently pop up and, and, and like reflect really quickly and, and do a yeah. diagnostic of like, is this right? Does it make sense? Are we laddering back up to somewhere? And if, and if that's changed, that's okay. Let's make sure that changes. But to your point, let's just not build the empty staircase to, to nowhere.
0: So you guys did rebrand recently. So I'd love to hear about that journey and what made you, how did you get your sort of original mark and your your suite of brand materials? And then what made you want to change it to what it's become? It, it feels very modern to me. Um, it's very inviting and friendly. As sort of a brand, I, I, it's very well crafted. It's very beautiful. But it's not doing what one of the trends that I see in the category is to go back to the 1870s, you know, that sort of Victorian era design is everywhere in this category right yeah. now. And you guys clearly did not go there. You went a little bit more modern. Talk about, about that journey. And what was the situation that led to the decisions that you made?
1: As we were thinking about this, this ladders back to some of the original part of this conversation about our bitters and soda. Um, yeah. Back in 2018, we knew we wanted to launch bitters and soda. We had finally said, okay, it's time. You know, in 2019, we want this thing to be real. We're here. We're at the moment where we can really build it the tailwinds are starting to catch up. And if we can get in front of them, this will be magical. What we found at that moment was our old branding no longer laddered up into this new kind of vessel mm. that we wanted to showcase, right? And yeah. at that time, it was a glass bottle. And we were yep. like, this doesn't resonate, right? This bowler cap and glasses is is too informal to like express how magical bitters and sodas are. Like yeah. It's just not going to deliver. And so we knew that. We just didn't know what parts we needed to unpack unbuild and, and rebuild. And so what we did was work with this awesome design agency that were friends of mine from business school. Yeah, and, tempt them uh, out. sure, yeah, they're called We Are Bill. Um, they, they were fantastic.
0: Nice, nice work, guys.
1: <laughs> fantastic works, guys. Yes, <laughs> humans. And what, what we did was we, we quickly engaged into a lot of focus and survey groups, right? So what we did was take our current um, stakeholders vis-a-vis our distributor network, uh, some of our retailers, some of our core customers, and some people that like w- were were in the category that we knew from the you know in the mixology, if you will, space. Yeah, a lot of the questions were, "What do you think about Hella in so many words? Right? Um, mm. what, what's Hella delivering on? What's it falling short on? Do you love Hella?" And I think with with renowned feedback, there were like three takeaways. The first one was that Hella's liquid is superior to what's on the market, but their branding on package doesn't tell that. It doesn't evoke mm. how good the liquid actually is, right? And if we're talking, because people who know us and talk to us in, in presentations, we talk a lot about ingredient forward, you know, quality, yep. consistency, yep. and that's not that wasn't on pack, right? So they were like, your identity is not being delivered on the, on the packaging. You got to get that right. And that meant the design needed to evolve, right? It was too hipster. It was too catchy, if you will. And that was on purpose back in the day, right? That was on purpose because yeah. we were talking to ourselves, the people that really cared about this category. And we knew that we had to now invite others to that journey. And then on pack, there was a lot of uh, various font sizes. Um, and so with that, there was confused the customer of like, what's the brand? What's the flavor variant, et cetera, et cetera. And then how does the, like, hella like, where does that even come from? And you know, for people who, who know about Hella, it's an old Bay term. That means like intensely something, right? Intensely good, intensely yeah. bad. And yeah. then it said Brooklyn. So people were like, I don't get this this dichotomy of these two places and how they come together. Mm. Yeah. So there was those few takeaways that were like, okay, let's tear it down and rebuild it so that it has it delivers on package and it tells the ingredient story, which I think it does now. It talks yeah. a little bit about uh the beta Brooklyn and beyond, which is like how we connect the dots of like our heritage but also like where we built the brand at, and then kind of got like a, 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 a design structure. Yep. So the brand can be the hero, but it was a little bit more minimalistic and that the flavor variants and the name of the product could actually shine. And there was no miscommunication about what the item was. Um, and so those things, I think, you know, they did a fantastic job of bringing that back to life and, and really telling the story on pack. I always love when a brand
0: is able to articulate all of the things in its brand in its tone of voice. Do you have an articulation for what the look and feel is? I think you just said it, so I, uh, but I want to, I want to make sure I, I cover it. If that's not it, it might be.
1: No, we do, we do. We, we went further in thinking about our brand tone and brand guardrails, right? We went even further because there still can be misperception about who you are, and we didn't yeah. want, we didn't want that for a bunch of reasons. Whether or not we were writing our own copy, which we do for for social or emails or some, or we pass it along to, to someone else. We wanted to make sure that that never got missed, right? And so yeah, for us, we you know, our guardrails are, are simple, like world-class, elevated, fresh, considerate, witty, right? Because of the, the way we think about our brand is probably charming wisdom. If you had to like put it in two words, right? We're, we're wise, but we're charming, we're respectful, and we're endearing, but we want to be, you know, anchored in, in like heritage and roots. And that means you can't be disrespectful or verbose or pompous, right? It's, you can't be elitist. In a lot of ways and we want to make sure that whoever's reading our work or watching our brand or hearing our story like that makes sense and that's that rings true
0: i love the phrase you said beta brooklyn and beyond that's just beautiful it's like such a great way to say what the look is you know that you're inclusive and doing all of these different things but it spans such a wide swath of america but also has some sort of visual imagery
1: in the in the saying i love that yeah and i think the the saying depending on where you are gives you a different part of that imagery. And that, that's yeah. fine, right? That, that's on purpose.
0: How are you um, advertising? Like, what do you guys do beyond social? I see you on social a lot. And in particular with Bitters and Soda, what it, that, I have to think that comes with a commitment to advertising. How, how has that changed
1: what you guys are doing? And or is it just building on what you've already done? For the history of the brand up until... Last year, and when COVID presented itself, we've never done any traditional marketing. We've never bought an ad or bought a magazine print or, or whatever it is. Yeah. What we did up until then was we employed people and, and asked them to go to, to, to our retail partners and tell our story, yeah. in-store tastings, to let people taste the product, see a name and a face that they can recognize and, and, and relate to because of uh, you know our, our product has so many nuances. But again, we want to be rooted in people's journey. And so that's what we spent most of our time and energy doing, building a brand. And in twenty twenty, we no longer could do that for obvious reasons. Yeah. And so we started to lean into the digital advertising space. And when I say that it's not, you know, it's not we're not doing a, a tremendous amount of spend by any um by any business's uh yeah. size. And so it's very, very frugal, but we're trying to be very direct in telling this part of the story at this point in time because If we're going to tell it, we'd love for you not to buy it once in terms of you like you buy your aromatic bitters bottle and you might sit on it for six months or a year. And that's great. Please shop with us. But the bitters and soda is a daily occasion. And if you really like it, you're going to, you know, you'll subscribe and and you'll have it, you know, delivered every week or two. And so that to advertise against that made a lot more sense um, given the state of the state. And I think, you know, we want to lean into that more and more and tell that story. And and hopefully people will kind of work backwards to the rest of our portfolio and say, wow, hella has... You know, I think you went the other way, and that's fine, right? You were like, I know about your bitters?" And I had no idea about these bitters and sodas, yeah. and I think now, since it's not as organic in terms of our approach, um that hopefully people will discover our flavor variants of bitters after they discover our bitters and sodas.
0: It's just me talking, but in this sort of um renaissance of fizzy water beverages that are happening in the world, I think that your stuff goes way beyond cocktails, and bitters are provenly they're they're proven to be good for your digestive system, right? They they really help you your body digest. And your stuff is really actually, I think I, I'm not saying to market it as a health thing at all, but it is a viable um alternative to the bubblies of the world and the LaCroix of the world and the 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 thing that's happening right now. Your stuff's incredible. I've had it a number of times. I mean i I went out and bought like four, you know, <laughs> four things of it. And I've been yeah, having it incredible. every night. I just I just have it I, I just drinking it at night because it's really good. And it is bitter. But it's just—it's fantastic. And it I, I mean, I love bitters. So. Thank you. And, and <laughs> but I think it's, it's
1: an acquired so, – on some levels, it's an acquired taste. And it depends on, like, where you come from and what you tasted yeah. as a child and as an adolescent, right? Because if you if you were the, the, the kind of kid that was fed grapefruit, right, a yeah. slice of grapefruit and maybe a little bit of sugar on it, you're going to love bitters and sodas. You're in. Right? And if you drink um, Sunny Delight, right, then you're yeah. going to probably be like, this yeah. is going to take a minute. <laughs> this is going to take a minute to get here, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. fine. And that's fine. You know, we're, we're talking – hopefully to consumers who who are in discovery and on a journey of discovery yeah. and, and evolving themselves in, in their, in their palate. And I know that like, I didn't like bitters when I started the bitters company, right? Like I was like, I love cocktails and I love the, the yes. socialization of the drinking experience, but the bitter bite was very strong for me. And yeah, yeah. now I'm like, like I can't do anything without having a bitters and soda as a nightcap. And my children who are 13, two and six months, the six month old doesn't engage yet, but the two year old loves a bitters and soda, and she'll yeah. you know she doesn't pronounce it perfectly, but she drinks yeah. that on a regular basis because it, to her it's delicious. And we've invited her to that part of her journey, you know, really early on in life. And I think you know I think a lot more people will be in that you know in, in that part of have those experiences earlier on because the world has changed and, and food and beverage has have become a lot more knowledgeable in terms of uh, the consumers who, who purchase it.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I just think personally, there's so many uses for bitters that are not being exploited that make food better. You could put it on almost anything. And I do,
1: I actually put it on ice cream. I put it on, yeah, I put it on yeah, lots. lot. That's right. That's of right. It's funny. When we You're, first started, we leaned a lot, a lot more into food, like into yeah. like marinades and rubs and things like that. We leaned heavily into it. And, you know, at that time, we just didn't have the resources to continue to iterate or amazing recipes and things like that. But My mom used to do a citrus bitter shrimp. Like we, I mean, we leaned in heavy at the beginning. We'd love, we'd love to start that again at some point in the future because you're right. Like it's really good on desserts, and my partner puts it in her banana bread. Right, like just anywhere you have vanilla extract, you can probably uh, spruce it up a little bit with some with your with your favorite flavor of bitters and really really bring it to another level.
0: Again, you know, this brand is about inclusivity, giving. Being, gen, you know, generosity, all of these things that you have. I love that. You know, hospitality and giving are, are words you guys use. Talk a little bit about how that has played out in the marketplace for you guys as a company. I know you started an organization called Included. Can you talk a little bit about that? And sure. is that is that something that is an outcome of Hella, or is that something that's adjacent, or is that just its own thing? It's its own
1: thing, but I can I can say that it was inspired out of the ideas, some of the ideas that Hella has, right? And and yeah. we think about Hella at this moment i I'll, I'll make sure that i separate myself from the ceo position in a lot of ways so that the lines don't get crossed yeah. but when i think about either my own personal journey or hella's journey and how to lead that i think a lot about uh, first community then content then commerce right and how that those things are connected yeah you know and thinking about hella we've been building this community for so long right it's been it's been a phenomenal journey and seeing and watching our community evolve and add more people to it uh, and then think about how that influences our content, right? And so, on the content side of that, you know, we've we've done programming. One particular that we love um, is called the Bar Chronicles, right? And we launched that during during COVID, and it was really to pay homage to the community to help build us around the bartender scene. And what we would do is pay a bartender two hundred and fifty bucks to teach a virtual class about how they do their thing, right, on our platform. Yeah, so and cool. again, you know, this is this is at the you know the next level of community. And it's something that we pause for now, but we can't wait to get back to it in short order because it, that's, again, how, how community is being manifested is not only in person, which we did a lot of in-person events and, and tutorials, but also also digital. And then how that turns into content, right? Obviously, you can repurpose it and use it and talk to your community about what you're doing. And, that's, and obviously, at some point down the line, if you do it right and you talk to the right consumer you have some kind of commerce that happens, right? And hopefully it's recurrent. And so when I think about business, we think about it that way, 100%. And that's some of the examples of how we do it. At the same time, just me and my individual journey, when I think about the same things, I'm like, how does community turn to commerce, right? And when we think about Black and Brown and, and Black Lives Matter and all the things that have come to light in the last, let's call it, you know, 14, 15 months, the same rules apply, right? And so I've just decided to be more purposeful in thinking about, how to build that community, especially in the CPG space, which is where we live and breathe. And so myself and, and, and a few other founding members decided to, to, to coin this group called Included to really be a collective of BIPOC CEOs and founders dedicated to kind of amplifying and supporting one another's su- success because there were so many nuances, discrimination, communication styles, network effects, lack of access to capital yeah, that can't be yeah. solved individually. And so we decided let's put this group together so that we could like identify where the holes were for each person, and you know if you put us all together, we could probably figure it out to to an extent and so that's really what included is all about building another community right in the c p g space and then you know obviously putting out content to that community and then thinking about how that ladders into individual brands having commerce on the back end um hopefully right and so so that's something that that we've been doing for the last twelve months and and it's really starting to have some traction. So really excited about what the, what the potential for that is. If anyone is out there as a CEO, whether or not it's a CPG or somewhere in the CPG value chain, broker network, you know, principal in a, in a fund, click on includedcpg.com and, and shoot us a note.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. That's great. I look at these things and I say things like this are inevitable when you have a brand like you have. And when it's run by people like you, you and your partners, like it's, that's going to happen. These things are going to happen because your your brand dictates it. You're about hospitality and giving, <laughs> so that's exactly what that is, you know.
1: And I will always circle it back when we visit. We visit ourselves and look in the mirror. We we we, we really ask ourselves: Are we living our own values, right? Are we being right. authentic to ourselves first and foremost? And then, how does that ladder into the brand? Because we want to bleed into the brand, so we make sure we're doing what we're doing. And so, we like to you know really think about that first, and then let the brand. Let it ooze through the brand and have the right word choice and, and things like that. But it's really like, are we doing what, what, what our team, not even just the three founders, what our collective team believes in as in a society and how that translates into, into our brand and then our customer.
0: It also affects the people you hire, the culture that you have, which also determines the success that you're going to have in the market. I mean, it's all one big circle. Brands that understand this are growing really quickly. Uh, and, and I think it's, it, it's really exciting. Do you feel like you know the, the last year there's, there's been hopefully an awakening around DE&I that it seems like it's sticking for once? It seems like we didn't just move from one thing to the next. And I would love to know if you, as a Black leader in, in this category, how have you used the brand to forward the social part of this movement? Or have you? Maybe you haven't.
1: No, it's a great question. and It's funny. Um, it's a tough question to ask, right? Because Or to answer, because there are so many moving pieces and time yeah. as a resource is so limiting, right? And and if you look at like this yeah. history, if you're looking at time holistically, we're doing a terrible job. If you look at time in the last 12 months, and usually I think about this in like four buckets. Yeah. I think about listening as like bucket one. I think about internal impact and, and transparency as bucket two. I think about bucket three as the community impact. And I think about bucket four as like, what does that look like in terms of access and investment? And I think in, in bucket one over the last 12 months, that's been a good job, right? People are listening, yeah. being able to pay attention. Yeah. Or at least it appears that way, right? And so what I can't tell because buckets two, three, and four are pretty terrible are whether or not anything is happening because I think most companies are not being, there are a few, right? There were a few who are being a little bit more transparent about what they've heard and what that means and what that looks like and how that ladders back down into impact. But uh, most companies are not can't, or they just, they won't do that part because they're too scared right. of what the, of, of that, of committing to it and what that really means. So I right. think, you know, if I was given the, the industries at a whole, I think maybe things like beauty are probably doing a better job. Um, but if I think about the rest of the the CPG space, I, I think there's probably a, a C minus or a D because, you know, yeah. 75% of the, of the, of the plan has not been shown and definitely not been executed on. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I don't think I'm being harsh. I think a lot of people would, would give it that same grade. And yeah. I think yeah. even internally at those companies, if they were looking at it, they'd say, you know what, you're right. You know, we've said we're listening. We've said we're going to do certain things, but what are those things in that? How do they yeah. have impact on yeah. community and access to, to whatever the excess points are? I don't, I don't think are, are fully transparent just yet. So I'm still yeah. hopeful, right? That this wasn't another kind of quick you know, what, what I think the black and brown community are used to, this quick bump in the road and then back to normal. We, we're hopeful, but we're still kind of like really being truthful about like what's really happened, right, and yeah. in the past yeah. catching up with, with the present and, and we're not sure, right, if it's going to come to pass. Yeah.
0: To me, the, the difference that I'm looking for is, is it short-term PR damage control or is there actual change happening? And in the past, there have been these, you know, every time there's a, any sort of tragedy, it goes into PR damage control versus actual systemic change and trying to look into organization change. And I feel like I do see a systemic change, a desire for it happening within companies, whether it's happening. I don't, I don't know either. I'm not sure.
1: That that may be the case, right? If you're inside the company, you might be able to see it and unpeel it a little bit and unpack it. But yeah. again, for the person that's trying to figure it out on the outside, your customer, that's not clear of what yep. brass tacks is, what's happening. So, so yeah, I think it's yet to be, yet to be determined, but, but again, hopefully optimistic.
0: Well, I just so love what you guys are doing. How can people find you? Like, let's, let's tell people how to go get you because I want everyone to go out that is a cocktail enthusiast and or non-alcoholic cocktail enthusiast, which there's so much good stuff out there, to go find you.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for the plug. Um, we'll always take it, of course. Um, I think first and foremost, if you're, on, a, if you're you know, on the digital side, you can find us at helacocktail.co. You can always find us on Amazon as well. Um, if you're a B two B kind of folks, shoot us an email at sales at hellacocktail and let us get get you some goodies at your retail store or at your bar or restaurant. Obviously, we you can find us at a few nice retail locations if you're in North Carolina. Um, shout out to the Weaver Street Market; uh, they carry the full Hella lineup there, and that's amazing. Yeah, we're also in yeah. places like uh, Toto One and more uh, Whole Foods, Bevmo, and a lot of your local independent shops. So please shop local if you can. If they don't have Hella there. Ask them to send them in a note. Show them what we got. You'd be surprised how uh, supportive uh, a local customer can be to a small business and bringing them to your market. Yeah, I love it.
0: I do want to plug one quick thing just for people out there. You know, one one of my frustrations in the non-alcoholic movement is there's no there's no kind of equivalent spirit for mezcal, mm. and I'm kind of surprised by that. Like it, it it seems like something they should be able to make. But here's what I did. What'd you do? I used your chili, your chili bitters. <laughs> there you um, go. And I put it in uh there's a, a couple of different non-alcoholic tequila spirits. And I, I've made a couple of margaritas using your chili bitters. And it actually kind of recreates like a mezcal experience.
1: That makes a, sense. That makes sense. No, I, I was gonna I was gonna say that. I was gonna be like, you should use a smoke chili, because you use as a pasilla de Oaxaca chili pepper that I think is very, very close resembles uh at least in in taste um the mezcal taste of like that, yeah that, it's incredible that. so you've completed my <laughs> you guys have completed my my
0: non-alcoholic ex, uh, experience so because that's something i really wanted
1: that's fantastic jamari it is such a such a pleasure to have you on the show i really really appreciate it no my, my pleasure david thank you so much for having me i've appreciated what you've done on social and and now in digital keep doing the good work I know your agency is crushing it. So congrats on all the success and thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. We got it.
0: This has been another episode of Brands in Action. Many thanks to our guest, Jomari Pinkard. Today's show has been brought to you by PonySaurus Brewing. The beer beer would drink if beer could drink beer. PonySaurus Brewing, drink about it. If you're digging the show, please give us a review and a like. It really does make a difference. Tell your friends. Production help by Nathan Nichols, editing by Sarah Voorhees-Wendell, executive production by Alexa Tesoriero, and music by Medium Heat. All other help from your friendly neighborhood Baldwin Ann.